it goes without saying that I don't think change is really recognized without a team being willing to trailblaze and sort of take chances, right? And, and gamble. Technology is transforming how we think, how we lead, and how we win. From InterVision, this is Status Go, the show helping IT leaders move beyond the status quo, master their craft, and propel their IT vision. Welcome to Status Go. I'm your host, Jeff Tun. Today, we are going to visit the land of swimming pools and movie stars, Hollywood, California, and the heart of the media and entertainment business in the U.S., well, technically, I'm not there. I'm sitting among the cornfields and soybeans in Indiana. But our guest, head of technology for media and entertainment here at InterVision, Ray Panahan, is talking to us from there. Ray recently joined InterVision and brings over 20 years of experience advancing technical and business acumen in various industry verticals, most prominently leading technical operations at Riot Games, where he played a crucial role in kickstarting the esports revolution. Welcome to the show, Ray. Hey, thanks for having me, Jeff. Can't speak enough about the opportunity to uh, join InterVision and the team and uh, to do my first podcast with you. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, should be fun. Hey, hey, before we dive in, I would love for you to share a bit about your background for our listeners. I know you've had an impact at several well-known organizations. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, so I just actually came from Riot Games, where I was there for almost five years, leading technical operations initially for Latin America, and then global esports. Uh, prior to that, I spent some time at Al Jazeera America, Current TV, Reels, Warner Brothers, and um, even spent some time on on some dot com and, and internet space with Yahoo and Earthlink. I had the opportunity early in my career to to work in startups as well as uh, some very traditional large organizations. Um, and that was a, a real blessing because it gave me some very challenging environments to work from that really existed on opposite ends of the spectrum. It seems like you've spent a, a good chunk of your career in what I would call the content side of some of these businesses, right? Whether it was for current TV, uh, Al Jazeera, and even even Riot Games, it's about the content. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we, we go back to uh, that saying, content is king. It is yeah. absolutely the case. You know, even, even at Riot, when, um, when we were looking at creating experiences through video games, it took some time of adoption for people to sort of acknowledge that whether or not someone was playing a game or following a website with content and, and a forum thread and, you know, down to the wire on downloading a screensaver and uh, watching esports content, right? It was really about consuming content from that company that was basically putting out this product. Yeah. Whenever I think about the gaming industry and esports, I have to really date myself. I remember, you know, back in the day, Zork 1, <laughs> 2, and 3. And I think uh, I think Zork 2, when it came out, was on like 40 floppy disks <laughs> to be able to play that game. We've really advanced in our ability to create content since then. <laughs> yeah. It, it's amazing how transformative the, you know, even like the last five years have been where you're seeing a lot of different platforms that are opening up avenues for more organic creation of content and video games. I mean, you look across the board, just these sort of platforms that have been allowing for a lot of homegrown sort of talent uh, go out and 
and market and pitch and, and compete with some of the bigger guys that have been doing this for decades. So it's a really interesting time for um, content creation and for and the video game industry itself. Yeah. And for our listeners, I know digital transformation or digital disruption, however you describe it, it's all the buzz these days. If you aren't doing it, you're talking about doing it or it is being done to you in the case of disruption. Nowhere does it seem is more impactful than in the media and entertainment space. For our listeners who are not in that vertical, don't tune us out quite yet. I think many of the challenges you are facing in your industry will probably relate to content creation at some point. And you may be finding solutions that were born from the media and entertainment space. So, Ray, let's start there. What are some of the pain points or disruptions that are happening in that space today? Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, when you talk about content creation, there's two real kind of traditional avenues that we look at, which is, um, you know, through live broadcast or linear broadcast. And then there's what we call like post-production and, and original content creation. So anything that's not live, right? Mm-hmm. Those two areas, there's really, it continues to be a rapidly evolving landscape where Original content continues to be created, curated, and consumed through a, a plethora of mediums and, and sort of tool sets, if you will. On the creation side, because of the growing amount of options there are, there tends to be more newer challenges in the approach now of, of how a production company or a, a network or a publisher, if you will, chooses their avenue of approach in first how they're going to create their content, You know whether that will be done on-prem in sort of a hybrid environment or in the cloud and any for those in the in a, like a live production setting so anyone that's might be doing like live sports or any live event you know are, are they doing things completely at the venue or at the stadium where they're bringing everyone on site or are they going to do some sort of like uh, remote integration where they're doing uh they're sending all of the camera feeds and all the content back to their home base or their headquarters um this is commonly known as remy and, and they're moving a lot of those workflows towards IP, which is a new sort of state that people are looking at because of its cost effectiveness, of course. And that's an interesting point because, uh, you know, looking from the outside in to that industry, it's always about rolling trucks to do the live events. And you see the NBC or CBS trucks outside of every sports venue. And the ability to actually do that remote has got to have a major impact on those companies and and the costs of doing all that, right? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that you can look at it in two ways. On the surface, you could look at the fact that uh, companies that have naturally operated on this, under this model are going to continue to look for ways to iterate and and obviously uh, figure out ways to create more value. And, and part of that is through savings by leveraging technology. Yeah. Another avenue you could look at that is creating capabilities, right? So, uh, you know, obviously in, in, in my most recent experience, the kind of approach that we looked at it was not necessarily trying to say, hey, we don't want to pay for trucks anymore, but more along the lines of how do we create more avenues to create more content, but just use sort of the same footprint? Mm -hmm. Not bringing in five trucks, but maybe just bringing in one truck, but still being able to do five times the amount of work. And uh, by leveraging IP and sort of these different methodologies and figuring out ways to preserve fidelity and effectively do this at a larger level, in essence... Sure, the savings were there, but it also gave us a lot more content creation capabilities across the board. And that in itself just created way more value than just saying, hey, we're we're not going to rent three trucks this time around. 
you know, as as you're describing this, I keep uh, drawing parallels, uh, yeah. if you will. I used to be a CIO in the commercial real estate development space. And when I was in that position, it's what, probably 10 or 15 years ago now, BIM or building information modeling was just beginning to catch hold. And, and the concept of this is uh, typically you've got these huge, huge CAD drawings that you design buildings on. The architects and the planners will use the CAD software. What building information modeling did was bring, first of all, three dimensions. So you can look at the building in three dimensions uh, as you're doing this. And it's amazing the issues that are uncovered because you're looking at architectural drawings in, in that 3D, you can see where some of the conflicts rise. But even more than that, they added the fourth dimension of time. So you can imagine how large these files are. And while it's not typically video content or live, as you're describing, there's got to be some parallels to be able to process those huge files remotely rather than having to be on site. So I don't, I don't know if you see other industries that might draw parallels. Uh, that was one that came to my mind. Yeah, no, that's, that's a really good comparison, Jeff. Um, I, I think it's like really interesting because early in my career, you know, I've always been a technologist at first, right? And, um, you know, working at Yahoo and I actually worked for Southern California Gas for a while, uh, you know, in the utility space. And when I started in M&E, I sort of looked at the fundamental technical challenges as about moving bits and bytes around yeah, and not necessarily yeah. focused really around the, I guess, the content creation and artistic part of what it takes to be really good at the craft. But that being said, as it pertains today, what you're mentioning is, is a common problem that's, that's actively being worked on, right? <laughs> Obviously, going from a 2K to a 4K to, you know, what we're seeing now is like commonly with more 6K and 8K stuff, even, even past the 4K, you're still working with uh, really large amounts of files at the end of the day, whether or not they're video or audio right. or a CAD drawing. There's, there's still files that need to be worked on collaboratively from different parts of a country or even different parts of the world. The thing that's really great about this, particularly from like the non-live or the post-production perspective, is you're just continuing to see a, a number of growing capabilities in collaboration and content creation through cloud-based tools. Because of this, it's, it's really allowing organizations to expand the amount of talent and the teams to operate from far more disparate locations. And in a lot of cases, also requiring less of a capital investment on infrastructure. You know, where traditionally a lot of uh, teams had to be under the same roof on, on a closed network and with a lot of uh, bare metal and hardware running in the same place. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, we're very much moving to that and you're seeing a lot more adoption of that space in, in some of these uh, larger organizations as well as these smaller brand new organizations. I think it's amazing how fast we've seen this progression or this shift to more cloud-based tools. I can remember when I first started at Blue Lock, which is now a part of, of InterVision, we had a conversation with a very large media and entertainment company. And the concept was, no, you had to have data centers that were in proximity to where the content was because you couldn't leverage cloud. You couldn't move the information fast enough. And now here it is four some years later, four or five years later, and you're talking about using cloud to do live feeds as well as post-production feeds. That's pretty big change in just a short period of time. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I myself sort of obviously spending some time in M&E 
prior to Riot, where you know, which is a place I've got the most exposure to a lot of the cloud solutions that are out there. You know, I admittedly I was kind of a skeptic on on the uh, the adoption level, right? Um, I mean, yeah. let's, sometimes that's good to be the skeptic, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you you know, the creative side of the house here on the M&E space, it's a feisty bunch, right? I mean, you want to <laughs> you want to enable these teams to obviously create at their best and be authentic on their approach, um, but at the same token, you you want to also provide an avenue by which there's an acceptance for like innovation and at least the idea to push the envelope in different manners and be comfortable of working outside of your comfort zone. I mean, look, less than four years ago, when you look at AWS, we started putting some transcode workflows you know, at, at Riot into EC2 right? because there was actually nothing out there that we found that was actually like a marketable product. Um, so we're saying, hey, let's, let's move some of our video workflows uh, into EC2, and we we had some of our great engineers write something up, and then moved it, you know, moved it on, and it was kind of being distributed all over the world. And in, in um, at that point in time, and then you know, you look at today. I mean, you have full blown SaaS products working out of the gate, dedicated to these really sort of media workflows, right? And and they're yeah. they're continually growing and being actively marketed and adopted across the globe. That has to also help other industries, as we've been talking about. But what do you think was the driver behind that? You were at Riot, you're starting to do those things. You guys were kind of leading the charge. And then uh, it appears that others saw that, hey, there's a market here. Let's start building tools in, in this. So you guys must have solved some pretty significant challenges that others were able to leverage to move in that direction. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that when you look at where we were at at the time and I don't think to differ that we've even lost, or Riot has even lost focus of that fact today. Is um, the problem that we were trying to solve at the time was really predicated on making sure that we could continually create content and create experiences that allowed us to reach the widest amount of the player base that we could, right? And when you look at what was out there, sure, it was raw. It, it needed a lot of work, mm-hmm. but there was sort of a pathway that we saw that gave us capabilities, it sort of like gave us the capability for our creative teams to bridge the gap in delivering these experiences, right? And, and when you look across the industry, you're starting to see that more and more with the Hulus and the Netflixes and of the world and like how they're looking at delivering content on a, on a global scale, it isn't very different. It's, it's really about leveraging the technology and tool sets and thinking about lowering the amount of time that it takes to deliver. I mean, we all talk about being agile, being sustainable. This is simply just a method and an avenue to take advantage of an opportunity and cater to your market. You know, and it was one that was really important and resonated with our team, you know, and and with the company as part of its culture and manifesto. And and we just looked at it as one of uh, many different mediums that we took to try to get the biggest exposure and delivery of content out. So when you look at the other side of content, it's the more traditional broadcasting. And you've talked about how it's moving more to IP. Who are some of the technology providers that have kind of led that charge and enabled this to be a viable platform? Yeah, definitely. No, it's it's been great. I mean, you know, the the thing that's really tough about the industry is it's extremely conservative in the sense that it moves somewhat slowly. Um, mm-hmm. But 
Uh, what I've really enjoyed was over the past few years, you've seen a lot of the major manufacturers out there, Ross Video, Grass Valley, you know, EVS, Everts, you know, mm-hmm. Sony, Panasonic. I mean, household names on, on the broadcast industry side really come together to work towards this pace at, at moving towards a more IP focused sort of framework. On the network and uh, technology manufacturer side, right, you have guys like uh, Cisco, Juniper, and Arista from a, from a network layer perspective all coming together to really focus on how we're talking about moving large chunks of data in video in a sort of agreed upon standards-based framework. And you know, a lot of people are talking about SMPTE 2110 for a number of years now. Uh, I've really enjoyed it because I've seen finally a clear framework on how we're going to agree to move video and manage video across the globe on IP. And I think it's a, a major watershed moment that, that we're finally at that juncture. So SMPTE 2110, yeah. just briefly for our listeners, what is that? Yeah, so it's, it's essentially just uh, sort of like a framework or, or rule set. I mean, everyone's kind of heard of like IEEE and their, and their own standard. Right. Uh, SMPTE is out there for the broadcast space. And this is just a standards-based kind of rules on, on how we're going to be managing video on IP. Okay. All right. So I'm familiar with other industries, other verticals that have gotten kind of an industry group together to define a standard. And so it sounds like that's very similar to some of the other things where you've got a standard way of communicating between building automation systems or other types of technology, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's uh, the thing that's really great about about is you'll find a lot of um, a lot of traditional broadcast sort of standards based there. But it, what's really cool is when, you, when you're looking around the standards based around IP, uh, which for the guys that are more on the technology and network side would probably find it really fascinating on, on how they've adopted so much of uh, how we sort of look at like IP and moving network traffic into mm-hmm. video and into this industry. It's actually formerly known as like SMPTE ST2110 for those that are interested. Um, SMPTE is spelled S-M-P-T-E and you can reach that SMPTE.org. A lot of great information on there and actually like a ton of great insight on a lot of the technology manufacturers that are involved and helping shape how we're, we're going to be managing video. And, you know, when you think about this, it really goes all the way down to our devices, right? And like how video is going to be managed and played out on our cell phones to a certain degree and our mobile phone. So it's, it's a really great time for the space. So I want to back up to something that you said uh, a few minutes ago, and you were talking about the M&E space sometimes is conservative, a little slower to adopt. And uh, my guess is just about everybody listening to this was like, yeah, my industry's that way too. (laughs) So you talked about this cultural shift that has happened or is happening. Can you identify some of what was enabled it to move forward and bring this adoption or at least start the wheels moving in that direction? Yeah, I I mean, you know, it goes without saying that um, I don't think change is really recognized um, without a team being willing to trailblaze and sort of take chances, right, And, and gamble. Um, because, you know, particularly in, in production and even live production, when you're, when you make a mistake on air, it's very apparent. So it's naturally a, a place where you're going to be conservative in your approach about how you produce your content. When you look at a place where we're saying, hey, guys, we're going to do something 
in live production that really hasn't ever been done before. <laughs> yeah, and it's going to change the way that you work, right, in a, in a live environment. And yes, we understand that some of you have been doing this for 5, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. And now we're going to change the way that you're, you're doing this as a professional. And, you know, you have a room of 20, 30 professionals that are used to working a certain way and saying, hey, we're going to change that. Right. This, this is not successful. It doesn't matter how good your technology is. At the end of the day, it isn't, it isn't successful until the team fundamentally agrees that this is what we're going to accomplish. Right. Yeah. And when you take those sort of creative teams and those talented teams together to say, we're going to adopt a new way of doing things, it sort of sets the tone and makes it easier for the next creative team to say, yeah, I think we can do that too. Or maybe we could do it a little bit better. And I say that because yeah. there's just an emerging amount of solutions that are out there today. And, you know, some that it's like, I, I would love to be a part of because it's all changing so fast, but it comes down to the team. And what you're seeing today is uh, because of these new technologies and these new different workflows, it's really forcing uh, a lot of these creative teams to adopt more quickly and figure out how to, to operate in those environments and do sort of the same talented things that they do, you know, but in a completely different manner, you know. They're being disrupted of sorts, right? Oh, yeah, they, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's interesting that uh, it probably started with the gaming industry because it was a newer, less established industry. And it's also, at least uh, my perception is it's more on the edge of technology and now it's moving into the more traditional. So you talked about some of the earlier adopters of uh, Riot, obviously, Netflix and, and Hulu and some of those. What's happening now with uh, some of the more established players? Are they moving in this direction as well? Yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty apparent, right? I think that what's kind of what's kind of interesting is you you see a lot of um, the bigger behemoths and the traditional guys moving into the space of doing content creation um, in manners that are probably more modern than others. Mm -hmm. At the same time, um, when you look at like a company like Disney, for example, I think probably a, a lot of people were scratching their hands and saying, Disney, you know, Disney streaming service, finally, where the hell has that been, right? <laughs> and it's taken a while, but yeah. at, at the same time, I kind of commend them because, I mean, they're probably sitting back and, and looking at how everyone was, was developing their platform and figuring out how they could do it a lot better. Yeah. Time will tell. But at the same token, um, it's a really great example of how they're choosing, choosing to deliver their content, right? Um, right, uh, on the right. other side of the token, I mean, you could kind of see with BamTech and how they uh, were originally delivering MLB, right, as a, as a streaming platform. I mean, they were one of the first, uh, I think, for professional sports. Uh, when they first came in, I was an early adopter of that solution, and I thought it was great, right? And then um, you look at sort of the content creation around uh, the ways that, that Hulu and, and Netflix are operating. Um, it's real interesting in, in their approach and how a company like Netflix is moving from content licensing to content creation, creation. if anything, yeah. because they've been yeah. doing this so many years, I'm sure they have way more of a target demographics that they're working with and, and a bunch of different methodologies in, the, in ways of how they're creating and delivering content. I can't imagine the data sets that they have available to them. Um, almost the science behind creating content, right? That'll resonate with an audience and, and target an audience. That, that's got to be a massive amount of data uh, yeah. and data science going into that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, I, I don't 
I don't know where I got this information. I'm sure it's probably inaccurate by now, but I uh, heard somewhere that they that Netflix had somewhere uh, around twenty thousand plus targeted demos. You, you look at um, you know more traditional Nielsen. I think that's that's probably under a hundred, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Just the ability to be able to gather that. So, in one of our earlier conversations, Ray, we talked about this almost creative tension or the balance between creativity and innovation. And how were you able to help balance that at Riot and in some of your earlier uh, stops in your career? That's a real tough one because uh, I, I think, you know, I spoke earlier about talent and the team that you have there. And uh, there's a lot of work put into building trust and relationships with with your creative team, right? And understanding mm-hmm. where the give and take is, and and where where push comes to shove. You're not always going to win, but I, I think that when you're when you're working with the team, and you're figuring out what pushes their buttons, what makes them uncomfortable, what makes them feel comfortable, <laughs> and then continually uh-huh. making them a little bit uncomfortable. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, I, I think yeah. it's I'm like, just going to gently push that button. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, you start with little wins and you build confidence in that manner. Yeah. There's also like the function of finding the early adopters who become advocates within these creative teams, right, and these production teams. And it's there's always at least a couple who are saying like, yeah, I'm willing to do this different or I'm, try- I'm willing to try something different. And those are the people you you really stand behind and push to be successful. And then you build advocacy. And when you build advocacy, you, you're able to like more easier build trust. And yeah, that comes yeah. from from uh, the team side. And then, you know, from your vendor perspective side, it's really about constant feedback loops, right? And some of the vendors that we've worked with on, on doing POCs and working on bleeding edge stuff is really finding vendors that's going to be able to like take your feedback, iterate and evolve uh, rather quickly. And that's what we look for in like a lot of the partners that we work with. And that I work with particularly is like, how fast are you going to take this feedback and iterate? Yeah, yeah. And I think that what you're saying there applies to any, if you're in IT at a corporation, it might be an insurance company, right? You may not be dealing with content creation or the creatives, if you will, that are building that, but you still have to build trust with your line of business managers, with your C-suite uh, and doing those types of things that you're talking about there really would help all of our listeners to build better relationships, not only internally within their company, but externally with their vendors. It it reminds me of the conversation that we had on a previous episode with Anita Nielsen about uh, building partnerships with your vendors in those ecosystems. And, And I think what you're saying applies across the board. Would you agree with that, Ray, that you could take that and uh, apply it in no matter what industry you're talking about? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you think about the feedback loops, they go both ways, right? And it's not only with your leadership, not not only with your your clients and your customers, but also your technology partners, right? Or your business partners, in a sense. Um, those have to be constant, and they have to be actionable, right? And and that's probably one of the hardest things to stay on top of because of just life in general and the amount of things that we're all mm-hmm. managing. But right. what I have found is that those that have been most impactful are always looking at how they can create the most impact and where they can improve the most. And, and that yep. whether it's, it's my leadership or my clients and customers or my, or my technology partners, uh, 
they're the ones that are, are making the most iterations, business goals and you know product strategies aside. I think if you look across the board, you'll see a lot of the, the successful brands and companies out there figure out ways to stay consistent in that approach. Yeah. I love the way that Paul Chapman, the CIO at Box, stated it. Uh, he likes to work with vendors and partners that are maniacally focused on being the best in their in their space. Oh, yeah. And uh, that constant feedback loop, that iteration, that's part of that focus. Yeah, it's um, it's funny that you say that because I actually went to a Ring Central open house a couple of months ago because it was just uh-huh. down the street, and uh, one of my buddies asked a question to the CEO, which was it was like an AMA format of why did you guys decide to do what you do, considering that ADT has been in the business for eighty plus years, and and yeah. it was the, sort of the same kind of uh, statement that you said, and the CEO was like, look, uh, these guys have been around forever. We know what we wanted to do, and we couldn't spend time thinking about what they could do. And it was more about, well, yeah. how are we going to do what we do best? Best. Right? And yeah. they end up getting acquired by Amazon, and that sort of speaks for itself. And you look at the <laughs> yeah, product. Yeah, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, Ray, I, I always like to wrap up these conversations with a couple of different questions. So, first question What didn't we talk about today that we should have? What did we miss? Wow, there's there's quite a bit there. I mean, I, I think from a, a creative tools perspective, we could probably save that and, and talk about deeper about some of the, the solutions that are, are taking place in the cloud. Some of the, the industries probably more in depth, live production, we could talk about esports and, and how that's mm-hmm. sort of changing the way that we look at media and content consumption in a lot of manners. Um, those, are, those are two that kind of stick out for me um, okay. I think I think third would be uh, I would have loved to talk about the similarities and, and more of the parallels of the problem space and how that applies to other relevant industries. I think uh, we've got a couple of episodes at least that we could dig into those topics. I I definitely want to bring you back to talk about esports and the impact that that's having. I really appreciate you taking the time today. I, I know uh, just joining a company like Intervision, you've got to be drinking from the fire hose. I am very much looking forward to working together and, and learning more. For our listeners out there, Ray, what is one thing, one piece of advice that you can give them that they can do differently tomorrow? Their call to action, so to speak. Wow, that's a tough one. I, I mean, I, I think from a perspective uh, for the creative side and for, and for content creation is to always be willing to try a different avenue of approach and doing something creative. You know, it's the best way to just sort of understand how you're doing things and how you may, might do things differently. I, I think you'll also discover some new things about yourself or your team when you're being comfortable with being uncomfortable doing something creative. Uncomfortable. Yeah. 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 I think that's a great advice for our leaders out there is is to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. Kind of find that creative edge, that creative tension, uh, and maybe just push on it just a little bit. And I think you'll be surprised what that does for you and your team. Uh, and Ray, I know we barely brushed on the topic of esports. I'd love to have you back and talk more in depth about that 
uh, and the way that that is impacting other industries, as I mentioned. But again, Ray, I really want to thank you for taking the time today to talk with us. This has been great. I feel like every time I talk to you, I walk away smarter than when <laughs> I went into the conversation because I learned so much from your experience, and I appreciate your willingness to be able to share that with us. Oh uh, no, thank you so much, Jeff, for holding this. I mean, any opportunity I get to share experiences and kind of share that knowledge, I, I love to do that kind of thing. Well, we will definitely have you back, Ray. Really appreciate it. For our listeners out there, if you have a question or want to know more, go to intervision.com. Uh, we'll have the show notes. They'll provide links and contact information. This is Jeff Tun for Ray Panahan. Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Status Go podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes or get more information at intervision.com. If you'd like to contribute to the conversation, find InterVision on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Twitter. Thank you for listening. Until next time.